So tonight, because of the specific goal that we... Oh, thank you, Mike. Tonight, because of the specific goal that we set out for refuge, I, I do want to say this. Um, I, I won't really spare any words about abortion. I do want to say a couple things before we begin. Um, I believe that tact, how you say things, is a biblical issue. We're going to talk about that more so in small groups. I think of Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, correcting opponents with gentleness. So I believe that tact, how we say what we say and with the heart of what we say it, is a very biblical issue, right? Um, And I believe that different arenas and audiences may call for different approaches or tones. I am heavy-hearted. Often when out on a Friday morning at Planned Parenthood, I hear someone standing on the sidewalk hurling out hateful and inconsiderate, sarcastic words at those who are going into the abortion clinic. I don't agree with that. That's not tactful. It saddens me. It's not what I believe the Bible teaches us to do. However, there's a flip side here. That would be one extreme. The other extreme it would be those who say that it is evil and wrong to talk about the ins and outs of what happens during an abortion using graphic language. I'm not talking cursing. I'm talking what's taking place. Or to show pictures of aborted babies. Or to try to convince someone not to have an abortion. And those who would say that this is evil and wrong. And I also disagree with that. I believe that there's a place for those types of words and those types of images. Uh, Frankly, it actually upsets me when Christians are more upset about a picture of an aborted baby on a sign than the reality of that picture happening inside an abortion clinic. That really bothers me. We should be more outraged at Christians about the fact that limbs are being torn from the body rather than seeing a picture of it. The gospel is full of tender compassion and mercy and care and love. Amen. But I want to remind us again tonight that love is not covering up or hiding the reality of what is taking place. That is not loving. There's a loving way to expose it, but it's not loving to conceal I remind you again of our first week this semester, everything will be exposed on Judgment Day. So it's better to expose while there is still time to repent. Amen? I do, however, want to be gracious in the exposing that takes place tonight. I do seek to be gracious. It's not going to be easy for any of us. Um, I understand if it gets so emotional at some points that some of you may need to excuse yourself or weep or moan. I've had all of those responses during different parts of seeing what takes place. You have the freedom to do all those things. And I hope that you will understand the heart that I have tonight to end abortion and to give hope to those who have had one. And finally, I will simply say again that this semester, our specific goal is to expose the sins and evil of a number of topics in our culture today in order to give a biblical worldview of these matters. So we must look at the depth of these matters and truly look them in the face fully, okay? So that being said, let's pray and give this time to the Lord, and then we'll dive in. Lord, tonight we don't need man's opinion. We need the Word of God. We need biblical truth. We admit right now that you are the creator of life, that you give purpose in a meeting. We admit that you are the ruler, that you determine what is right and wrong, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and deserve death. We say with great joy that for those of us who are in Christ, 
we are in right standing with you. You look at us now through the, your son, his righteousness. We have a hope. No one can snatch us from his hands. And so, Lord, we rejoice that the gospel frees us of these things. And, and the, the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin and addiction and to speak in love and to keep in step with the Spirit and to uh, bear fruit of the Spirit. But, Lord, we also acknowledge we live in an evil, sinful world that is getting things wrong and is not submissive to you and does not acknowledge you as creator, does not submit to you as a Lord and is full of man's opinion and the building of the kingdom of self and autonomy. And that's why we have set on a mission this semester to discuss what does the Bible say about these things. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would send your spirit, Lord. Uh, I know that you are with us. I know that you dwell in us. But God, I'm, I'm asking that your spirit would comfort our hearts with the gospel tonight, but also open our eyes to the, the scary reality of the evil taking place and give us wisdom to know how to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask, Ellen, can you do me a favor? Can you turn that one off? We're going to keep this one running. This one's louder. I don't want to have to raise my voice tonight because of what the topic is, so I'd rather you be able to hear me by me talking soft, so... And if you need to close the doors, Ellen, so we can keep some of that heat in, too, that's fine. All right. We have set out to answer four questions each week. What's the issue? What does the Bible say about it? And then really the last two questions can be one of the same tonight. They'll be one and same for us. How ought we live uh, in this type of a culture with this specific issue? And how ought we expose what uh, the specific issues that we're talking about? So I'm going to begin with what's the issue? Some of what you hear tonight might be repeat of statistics that I gave on Sunday. Not all of them are. Um, and this is not a repeat of Sunday's message. But for those who are not here on Sunday uh, or may listen online later to this message, it's important that I explain some of these statistics again tonight. Margaret Sanger was a huge activist for women's rights, specifically in the realm of sexual freedom in the early 1900s. She rejected God. Uh, she had an interesting worldview. She was heavily involved in the birth control movement even before it really came to fruition. She's actually quoted as saying in the early 1900s that no woman can call herself free unless she can, until she can choose consciously whether she will or will not be a mother. Now think about that. She says that no woman can be free until she can choose consciously whether she will or will not be a mother. Part of her reasoning for birth control was that she was heavily associated with eugenics. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's a branch of science. <laughs> I hate saying that, but this is the actual definition. It's a branch of science that seeks to improve the human species through selective mating and also elimination. At the heart of Darwinism is this type of belief, survival of the fittest, right? To make a better class, a better species, so we weed out those who are poor or those who have mental illness or those of a specific race that we think we are better than. It's a, it's a very racist, prejudiced uh, mindset. This is what Hitler did with the Jews and with blacks. Her grandson, chair of the International Planned Parenthood Council, explained that his grandmother, Margaret Sanger, believed that women wanted their children to be free of poverty and disease, that women were natural eugenicists, and that birth control, which could limit the number of children and improve their quality of life, was the way to accomplish this. Part of this was also sterilization of the mentally ill and impaired. 
She was also the one who began the concept of every child should be a wanted child. So if you hear that today in the uh, pro-abortion, pro-choice women's rights movement, it came from Margaret Sanger, and it's, it's a very racist, prejudiced statement. She went underground when this type of worldview was exposed as evil during the Holocaust, but she came out afterwards and established what we know today as Planned Parenthood in 1952. Around this time, she recruited Gregory Pincus. They worked together and initialized a research project that would produce the first oral contraceptive, the birth control pill. She also began hiring black ministers to be spokesmen to persuade the black community, namely the black church, that this was a positive opportunity. Uh, she knew that she had been associated and openly with eugenics and racism in the past. And so as part of her program and, and idea to move this better species society, she needed black people to be on board. And so she went after black ministers to be spokesmen, thinking that they could actually persuade the black community. Frankly, many ev- evangelicals missed the boat. Uh, Al Mohler speaks a lot of this, the Southern Baptist Convention too, messed up when it came to the birth control pill. Many evangelical Christians and churches jumped on board, not knowing really what uh, this was capable of, not knowing the foundation and reasoning behind this. But the heart of the matter of birth control and Planned Parenthood was indeed Margaret Sanger's eugenic, racist, prejudiced heart. It's important for us to know that there are types of birth control and birth control methods today that do indeed have the possibility and have indeed resulted in abortion. I'm going to explain this. And I mentioned this briefly on Sunday, but this is why it's important today more than ever with everything at our fingertips to know what you're doing and indulging in and engaged in. The following birth control methods have the possibility to result in abortion. IUDs, Depo-Provera, birth control pills, the RU-58, the patch, the hormonal vaginal contraceptive ring, and emergency contraception, which is the morning after pill. All of these have indeed resulted in abortion and can cause abortion. Now, I'll pause and say that the likelihood is many of you in this room may even use some of these things and have had no idea What I'd encourage you to do is not believe everything I say, but go look at the research here. You have medical professionals both on a pro-life and pro-abortion side that reveal these types of things. Now, if you find a pro-abortion medical site or information that says, no, it doesn't, I want to explain in the next number of minutes why they say it doesn't. It's the difference between what they consider uh, to be a pre-embryo and an embryo or when life actually begins, and how the word conceive or conception changed in the last 50 years, specifically as a public policy reason to blind women to the reality that these pills and these uses and methods actually do cause abortion. So when I say that it can cause an abortion, what I mean is that scientifically, you can still have a fertilized egg when using these methods. Meaning... You can conceive. Conception can happen. And what can happen is these methods can prohibit implantation. 
This is why in the 1960s, the term conception changed from fertilized egg to implantation. So now what you'll do is you'll have the pro-abortion movement which says, no, it's not truly conceived until it's been implanted. The reality is, is the research and all that we see shows, no, it indeed is conceived once it's fertilized. Doctors found themselves in an ethical dilemma in the 60s, and they didn't want to be considered to be using things that cause abortion. So the leading scientists and doctors and geneticists today are in agreement that true conception of life indeed begins at the fertilization point, not in implantation. In fact, the Journal of Maternal Fetal Medicine Study found that 73% of participating OBGYNs state that conception is synonymous with fertilization, not when it is implanted. I don't know how to pronounce this. I, I looked it up on YouTube, even trying to find it and hear people say it. I've never heard it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this. It's fine. The, the Guttmacher Institute, Guttmacher Institute, anybody know? They're associated, they're, they're one of the leading um, pro-abortion and sexual rights organizations in the world today. They're they work with Planned Parenthood, et cetera, anyways. It's, it's like their number one research institute. It's a pro-abortion site, okay? Um, they refer to this fertilization as a pre-embryo. But on their website, they have to say pre-embryo in quotations because that term is actually not a scientifically valid term. The term itself was introduced in 1986 for public policy reasons, meaning the fertilization of the egg they're considering a pre-embryo, and then when it implants, it's considered an embryo, as if the pre-embryo is not life, but the embryo is. It's saying life doesn't begin when it's fertilized, it begins when it is implanted. And scientifically speaking, that is not the case, therefore they have to put it in parentheses because it's not a scientifically valid term. There was a court hearing in Tennessee in 1989 between a divorced couple that had frozen fertilized eggs through IVF, and the mother wanted the children whereas the father did not and rather wanted them to be destroyed. Dr. Jerome Lejeune was called to testify. Dr. Jerome was the professor of fundamental genetics on the Faculty of Medicine in Paris and held the Kentucky, or I'm sorry, the Kennedy Prize for being the first to discover a disease caused by chromosomal disorder, which we know today as Down syndrome. He's the one, so he's, he's a brilliant man, one of the leading men in his field, incredible geneticist, and he's the one who actually found the chromosome issue for Down syndrome. He testifies, they bring him in to this Tennessee court to deal with this issue of can the IVF tubes of the fertilized eggs, can the mother take them or should they be destroyed? He was brought in to talk about whether or not it's a life inside that tube as one of the leading geneticists. Now, what I would highly encourage you all to do is to read the transcript of his testimony sometime this week, if you can. I can uh, post a link to it online. It's unbelievably interesting and shocking. Incredible, the science. I was telling Ellen on Sunday, there's a part where he explains the difference between uh, the male and female cell or chromosome, whatever it is, and how there are different roles in causing... Uh, the egg to grow and turn into a fetus and, 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 and grow from there and what the roles of the woman's part is and the male parts is and how it's specifically the design. This guy doesn't know this, but it's specifically the design that God has given to men and women that you see in the, in the Bible. It's incredible. You can see it in the genetic code. What conception. It's unbelievable. You should really go and read it. I'll post it later. Now, 
I, I'll make it available on, on Rome. I want to highlight, though, a few things from his testimony that's crucial to our topic of conception of when life begins. And the reason I'm talking about this is because we're gonna, we, this exposes some truths about birth control and IVF, especially, okay? The term embryo, he states, uh, from, the, from the French encyclopedia, is the youngest form of a being. Therefore, there is no pre-embryo. It starts as one fertilized egg, a zygote, and when the zygote splits into two cells, it's called a two-cell embryo. When it splits again, four-cell, etc. He goes on to talk about the illegitimacy of the term pre-embryo. He says there is nothing before an embryo. He goes on and discusses that in the very beginning of conception and the fertilization of an egg, before implanting, this is before the implanting occurs, He says, not only is everything written in the genetic message of every cell, but it is written the way it should be read from one sequence to another one. In other words, this is what he means. The way the face will look, the way the hands will form, the color of the eyes, the color of the hair, is all written in our first cells and fertilization before it's implanted. And it is human life. This brings a lot of ethical discussion, not only to birth control, but also IVF. I know this is a difficult subject because IVF specifically has brought children into homes where there was no ability to have children unless God were to perform a miracle. Many of us see IVF as a form of mercy in a way for families who can't have it to have it. Actually, one of the prime uses of IVF is for families who are not even married, just so you know. But also, there is an ethical dilemma here because... What this shows is that every tube is a unique human life. In these tubes lies the very beginning of human life in a genetic code that is totally unique from every other in all of history. Not only that, but when these tubes are frozen, they're not frozen to the point where they are technically standing still in time. To do that, it costs all kinds of money. But rather, they are actually dying. There's an expiration date here. Lejeune, the doc or the, the person who was brought in for this testimony, is opposed to IVF, and he states why when he says, These are not spare parts in which we can take at random. They are not experimental material that we could throw away after using it. They are not commodities we could freeze and defreeze at our own will. They are not property that we can exchange against anything. He says an early human being is inside this suspended time, which is the can, and it cannot be the property of anybody because it's the only one in the world to have the property of building himself. As soon as it is, as soon as it is conceived, fertilized, a man is a man. Now, there's so much more that could be said about this, but time tonight is not going to allow us to. And I highly recommend talking with me later if you have questions about that or need some resources, and I can point you in the right direction. All of this to say, before we really even get to modern abortion on demand, there are ethical dilemmas. There are biblical issues when it comes to birth control and when it comes to IVF. Because indeed, through some of these uses, unique Human life created by God is killed, whether we know it or not, or whether you have known it or not. The actual beginning of human life and uniqueness begins at fertilization. Therefore, when it is either frozen or discarded, or there's some kind of 
oral contraceptive or IUD, it can actually allow for it to be fertilized and then not be able to implant. That is by definition abortion. So what about abortion the way most people understand it today? The on-demand abortion. That when you know it's been implanted, you're pregnant, you've missed your cycle, you've taken a test, now what? This is, this is the abortion that we're talking about for the, for the majority of the evening tonight. 91%, say 91%. I'm just going to do that to make sure you're with me. Good. 91% of abortions in the U.S. are done in the first trimester. That's Sometimes there's disagreement of it. It's anywhere from 11 to 13 weeks. It's typically about 12 weeks, although some say 13, some say 11. I want to show you what is happening in the womb during the first 12 weeks, okay? And mind you, it isn't, it isn't the first three or four work weeks immediately that you even know you're pregnant. Some don't know until much longer and farther away from that that they're even pregnant. So the majority of the first trimester um, abortions do not even happen in the, in the first eight weeks, it's afterwards, okay? So I want to show you what's happening in the womb. 91% of abortions happen to a baby in where this, this is happening. Between four to six weeks, the heart starts beating. It's actually uh, pumping and has unique blood and all that kind of stuff as early as 21, 22 days. 45 days after conception, which is about six and a half weeks, okay? A lot of women don't even know they're pregnant yet at this point, honestly, the child weighs an ounce, but has all internal organs. Has all internal organs at six and a half weeks. It has a mouth with lips. It has a tongue. It has buds for milk teeth. It has sex and reproductive organs that begin to sprout around eight weeks. Hands are forming at nine weeks. You can bend, bend, or, yeah, you can bend fingers. You have fingernails. You can suck your thumb. It responds to stimulus and may be capable of feeling pain. At 10 weeks, it can squint. It can swallow. The child can frown. At 11 weeks, it can urinate. It has facial expressions. It can smile. At 12 weeks, it can kick. It can turn its feet. It can curl its toes. It can form a fist. It can bend its wrist. It can move its thumbs. It can open its mouth. No, listen to this. Nothing new develops or begins functioning in the second and third trimester. Of pregnancy, which means the entirety of the major, the entirety of the baby is already there when ninety-one percent of abortions occur, for the most part. In other words, every surgical abortion in America stops a beating heart and stops already measurable brain waves. I want to pause and say. In the mind of God and the reality of human life when it begins, it's no different than a fertilized egg with birth control or IVF. And I say that graciously, but it should cause us. This is why sometimes, and we don't even know it sometimes, we can be hypocritical with our approaches. Because if somebody were to say, oh, I don't think, and by the way, it's over 70% of America doesn't believe that abortion should happen in the third trimester. But the majority of them would say it's fine in the first trimester. And we would say what? What's the difference between the third trimester and the first trimester? It has its entire, nothing new develops. Well, as Christians, we must say the entire genetic code, how the hands will form, the color of the eyes, the color of the hair, is already determined at the fertilized egg as well. And we'll talk about what the Bible says here and about it in a second. An abortion pill 
is one of the most common forms of abortion. It's actually two pills that are taken. The first one cuts the baby off from receiving nutrients, so the baby essentially starves. Then the second pill is now taken within 24 hours, which causes contractions to push the baby out. It can be incredibly painful, by the way, and there can be a tremendous amount of complications. One of the things I'm not addressing tonight is the health risks and complications that can happen to a woman in an abortion. It can cause... uh, it can increase the possibility for cancer. It can cause you to not be able to have kids again. Uh, a lot of people on the sidewalks will use this as an argument for people not to have an abortion. Uh, I'm not saying that's not right or wrong. I'm just saying uh, it's not our approach. Uh, we believe there's a greater issue than the fact that the woman might have complications later in life. Rather, there's a child that you're murdering. And, and we want to not allow that to happen. So the second pill is taken within 24 hours. This is interesting because it used to be 48 to 72 hours that you would take the second pill. But abortion clinics have changed it to 24 hours now because there was a discovery of the reversal pill, which can actually save a baby after the first pill is taken. And there's actually an abortion uh, reversal hotline. Um, There's a lady that I spoke with today at the pro-life rally in downtown Dover who was actually, she was the whistleblower for the Planned Parenthood here. She worked there for 27 days, was totally blind to the deception and manipulation and malpractice that happens in there, the fact that they lie and deceive and are encouraged to make sure that women go through with abortion. If you think that Planned Parenthood is for women choosing and explains all the realities, check the facts and look at testimony after testimony of people who used to be clinic nurses or counselors there and how they're trained and what to say not to say and this woman who spoke at the pro-life rally today was the whistleblower she used to work at this one and exposed it a number of years ago it was taking place they had to shut down for a little bit they had to make changes all that kind of stuff and she was talking she's actually a part of this hotline of the reversal pill and because this is actually they've actually saved 400 babies now who originally took the abortive pill and then came back we're like i i did it on emotion i regret it what do i do And they can now have this pill that reverses it, and it's not 100% effective, but it has saved 400 babies, and there are 100 women still pregnant right now who have taken the reversal pill, and it's worked so far. So it's amazing. That's why they switched it to take it within 24 hours. This shows that the plan of... You need to understand, please understand the sickness here. It really does make... I can't even believe it, how sick it is. Planned Parenthood wants money, okay? There's no doubt that abortion is about money in many ways. But this reveals it's even more so about a culture of death. It's continued beginning. Because here's the thing. The woman who's already bought the abortive pill, she can't get a refund for the second one. So why would the abortion clinics care? They've already gotten their money. Why would they say no, take it after 24 hours if they don't care at that point? They want babies to be aborted. However, the abortion pill is not the most common form of abortion. It's not the most common abortion procedure in the world. What is known as suction curatage or vacuum aspiration is the most common in the world. I just want to warn you, uh, I'm not going to be speaking ill or mean, but I am about to get graphic in the explanation of the next two abortions, okay? Okay. This falls under the banner of what is known as DNC. Today, the National Abortion Federation reports that virtually all modern first trimester surgical abortions are accomplished by vacuum aspiration. 
not the pill. In the United States, roughly 85% of all abortions are performed surgically. And approximately 76% are performed by suction curatage. It is during this abortion procedure that the cervix is dilated with tools and then a suction vacuum is inserted to literally suck the baby out. The baby sometimes can be torn limb by limb during this procedure and is fully alive at the beginning of this procedure. It begins this procedure on an alive baby. This is also when there can be botched abortions. And so what takes place is sometimes, because they don't always check with an ultrasound to find out how big it is, sometimes they just go by the word of the, of the mother, how, how far along in your pregnancy you are. And sometimes the women will just lie, frankly, because they don't want to deal with the fact that it's older or maybe more developed or would need a more serious surgical abortion. Uh, and so they'll lie about it. And Planned Parenthood won't always give an ultrasound. And in this case is if the doctor goes in and the baby is more developed or bigger than what they were expecting, the vacuum won't work. And so it can cause serious issues for the woman. It kills the baby and then they will be transported to the hospital. And you're talking all kinds of other procedures. This is the most common abortion today. More than 140,000 second trimester abortions occur annually through a dilation and evacuation abortion. This is the most uncommon, but we're talking hundreds of thousands worldwide, over 100,000 in America annually. The National Abortion Federation, this is, this is what will happen if there's a botched abortion here. They will have to go in and do a D&E. Um, this is the most graphic of the abortions and the most sickening the National Abortion Federation reports that most women seeking second trimester abortion are young and healthy. The girls are healthy. The babies are healthy. Serious health problems account for only a small proportion of abortions worldwide. And according to the NAF, the most common reason for a second trimester abortion includes a delay in recognizing or admitting pregnancy, difficulty obtaining funds for an abortion to have it earlier, an indecision over what to do or changed circumstances. Circumstantial changes might include abandonment by their partner or the realization that they are carrying a girl instead of a boy. There is a, um, what's, it, what's it called when you're looking for population? A, a census taken in a, a place in India. There's 10,000 men and 15 women. 10,000 men, 15 women. The reason was because of selective birth. That does happen. You should check out what's happening in China right now, which is one of the leading uh, abortive countries in the world, and it's basically sex selection. The NIF counsels, this is how they counsel, that, that though some abortion care providers may find it difficult to accept sex selection as a valid reason for an abortion, that they should yield to the moral judgment of the patient who may believe that aborting a female fetus is a rational act for the future good of the family. It takes place in America. That a woman can tell the abortionist in reason of why, because at a late-term pregnancy, you have to have a reason. There has to now be a health reason. We're going to talk about how sick and twisted it is in a second because it's not just physical health. It can be psychological, emotional, whatever. The patient decides. And you just find the right abortion doctor who will say yes and sign off on it. But a woman in a late-term abortion can decide that it's not healthy for her to have a female child. 
in America. So I'm now going to give a caution because I'm going to explain what happens during any abortion. And it's important for us to know and not turn a blind eye. You may disagree, but I, I prayed thoroughly over this and I, does nobody any good to ignore what really takes place, in my opinion. I don't want to linger here, so I'm going to give a brief overview. During a d and a woman will be dilated. The baby is too big at this point for the suction. So tools will be used to enter, and it will grab and cling to a baby's limbs and tear the limbs off from the body one at a time. It will bring them out and lay them on a table. This happens until nothing is left but the head, if it's feet first. Then the abortionist will go back in and do one of two things to the baby's skull. Most times it will crush the baby's skull. He knows that this has happened when certain liquid comes out. Then he will pull the remains of the head out. In lay terms, if the baby is delivered feet first, the head would be crushed with forceps or sometimes even pierced with scissors, allowing the brain to be suctioned out by vacuum. If the baby is delivered head first, scissors are used, not forceps, to pierce the top of the head as soon as it appears at the cervical opening. The abortionist will then re-enter and suck out any remains and scrape the wall. The abortionist must then account for all the baby's parts on the table. And so, to speak, it will put the baby back together like a puzzle to ensure that nothing was left inside the womb because that can be incredibly harmful to the woman. I don't know how we can afford as Christians to turn a blind eye to that. I don't know how we can do that. I mentioned Sunday today that one in five women have had an abortion. If you think that's a scary statistic, check out this one. One out of four children conceived in America today are aborted. One in four children that are conceived. This is the most frequently performed surgery on women. And 92% of all abortions are purely elective. What that means is they are done on healthy women who are ending the lives of healthy children. You will hear often the argument for most people who are just uneducated what you'll find is that most Americans today have an opinion and no education on the matter. And so they will wave banners of women's rights and this is a women's health issue, etc. And this is a statistic to use. 92% of abortions are elective, healthy women with healthy children. This is not a women's health issue. In fact, 25% of abortions are because the mother is simply not ready, ready for another child or the timing is wrong. 25% can't afford the baby. So 50% of abortions, the reasons are wrong timing, can't have another child, don't want the child, or I can't afford it. 19% is that um, children are grown or other people are depending on her or she's too old. 8% is that they are single mothers or relationship problems. 7% don't feel mature enough. 4% interfere with education or career plans. 3% fetus health issues. So this, this is surprising to me as well because it means that 
Well, they have, you know, you, you think, well, they, the man's not there. 50% of the abortions plus just talked about the reason not being because there was no partner or man to step in or even family that was supportive. It was because it was an inconvenience. All right? During the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, this is what the court ruled. This is what the court ruled. This is what our law in America says right now. Abortion must be permitted for any reason. Say any reason. Any reason that a woman chooses until the child becomes viable. Now that's a highly debated term. After viability, an abortion must still be permitted if an abortion doctor deems the abortion necessary no matter how old the child is now due to the woman's health. And the women's health was defined by the court in another ruling issued on the same day. And this is the definition of women's health in the law. All factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age. There have been 60 million babies aborted since Roe v. Wade. About. The delusion in our society goes even further when you look at the laws about killing animals <laughs> or, or you see on alcohol, alcoholic beverages, if you're pregnant, don't do this, might harm the baby. We, we act like we care about children in one realm and then we act like we don't in another realm. Perhaps the most perplexed example of this is if a woman is pregnant with a child and she has decided that she does not want to keep the child, and so she is driving to, let's say, a Planned Parenthood in Dover, let's say this Friday. She has every intention to go, and she will pay a minimum of about $600 right now even for the pill. It can be upwards of 1000 now. It has increased how much it is. She's going to pay a doctor, not a doctor, an abortionist, uh, to end the life of the child, to, to kill the baby. If she's on her way to get an abortion, and she gets sideswiped by somebody, and the baby dies. He's charged with manslaughter. But if that doesn't happen, it's perfectly legal in America for a hundred yards later, her to put six hundred to a thousand dollars in the hand of a so-called physician who will do what I just read to the skull and the limbs and with a vacuum. Is that delusional? In America, it's illegal to harm a pre-born child, but it's perfectly legal to kill it. How does that even make sense? Abortion is today because the arguments have changed. I mentioned this as well on Sunday. I'm not going to go big into an apologetics approach to this. It's not our, our purpose for tonight, although um, I have great resources. Uh, there's a number of books like Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments, Why Pro-Life, a number of uh, different things like that. Randy Alcorn has a lot of them. R.C. Sproul has a great book even on science and the natural law and, and public policy on these types of things. I can give you all kinds of resources if you want them. It used to be it's not a baby. We don't know when life begins, but it's not a baby. Well, science has changed that. Okay, it is a baby, so now it's a matter of women's health. Well, now we're finding out that women's health really isn't the reasons for the majority of abortion, so now it's about women's rights. And so you see how it's all changing consistently, and because now we know it's life, we're allowing the murder of children based on the fact that we think women should be able to decide what to do with their own body as if 
Even the fertilized egg is their body. And we remember when we looked at what the fertilized egg is, it's its own unique genetic code that is already determined what color hair, what color eyes, what the hands will look like, etc. So abortionists today actually agree that they are killing a human being. The argument is no longer in America about whether it is life. If someone's having a, a conversation or debate with you about abortion not, be, not killing life, they are so far behind and their argument is not even funny. They're totally uneducated. It's now an argument about, about whether or not the child has the same rights as a more developed human. Specifically, women's rights in the form of sexual freedom and health. I mentioned this on Sunday. At the heart of the issue of abortion is that women should be free to do with their body what they want. Namely, sexual freedom. And this was, if you remember, the heart where we began of Margaret Sanger. This was crucial to a woman's freedom. The pro-abortion community knows what it is doing. They are lovers of death. And they are coercing and manipulating culture today to see abortion as a woman's rights and a woman's health issue. Don't fall for it. Dr. Bernard Nathanson confirms he was heavily involved in the beginning of this Planned Parenthood organization in the 60s of the pro-abortion movement of women's rights, etc. But he, he confesses that this wasn't a women's right issue in the beginning. He confirms that in the 1960s that his fellow abortion rights strategists deliberately linked abortion to women's rights issues specifically so that it would succeed. He knew that it wouldn't succeed if they didn't link it to something that would capture the attention of America. Pro-choice advocates, or there's a pro-choice advocate who instructs nurses in prominent medical journal. And this was before abortion was legalized. And this is what she said. In training people to, uh, uh, to be nurses, to abortion, to counsel people, she says this. Through public conditioning... Through use of language, through concepts and laws, we can change the idea of abortion from the idea of killing. And the heart was, let's link it to women's rights. Let's link it to women's health. We just have to utilize our words correctly. We have to utilize the law and the public correctly. Hence, pro-choice, not pro-abortion. Jim Newhall, I mentioned this on Sunday, he's an abortionist in Oregon. He says that not everyone is meant to be born. I believe for a baby, life begins when his mother wants him. Peter Singer, I also mentioned him on Sunday. He's an ethics professor at Princeton. He says that the life of a fetus is of no greater value than the life of a non-human animal at a similar level of rationality, self-consciousness, awareness, and capacity to feel. He also believes... Uh, that there is moral justification, I mentioned this, for killing the elderly. He also thinks that um, it's a good idea that uh, you can tell if a child is truly wanted by around 28 days. So he actually is an advocate for that, uh, even if the child is not wanted in the first four weeks of living, and it's not basically allowing for the mother to have the life she wanted, it's not turning out as expected, it's not pleasant, they find out something is wrong, that the child can still be killed. He's a ethics professor at Princeton. Or how about this testimony from a previous abortion clinic counselor? She says this. This is a previous abortion clinic counselor. She said, when I was an abortion clinic counselor, 
I was totally uninformed of abortion alternatives. I never recommended adoption or keeping the child. I was completely unaware of the medical facts, including the development of the fetus. I received no training in factual matters. I was trained, and my job was simply to make sure women went through with their abortion. In fact, Planned Parenthood has become aggressive towards its fight against pregnancy help centers, like the one that we support here in Dover. The reason is because 90% of women who have an ultrasound at a pregnancy help center decide to keep their baby. 90% when they see their baby in an ultrasound decide to keep their baby. In Planned Parenthood, they are sometimes required to confirm a pregnancy through the use of an ultrasound, but they will not show the mother or the family because they don't want them to be carried away and make an emotional decision. In fact, Suzanne Martinez, who is the vice president of public policy at Planned Parenthood, says that the use of ultrasound technology at pregnancy help centers is coercive. She says that from the time you walk into these help centers, they, they are inundated with information that is propaganda and has one goal in mind. It's so hypocritical. And that is to have women continue with their pregnancies. Which is exactly what they're doing in Planned Parenthood on the opposite side of the spectrum. The Feminist Women's Center, Health Center says that if you discover they warn women about these pregnancy health centers... In fact, they say, if you discover that you are seeking help from an anti-abortion facility, and the reason they word it that way is because many people who are seeking to have an abortion will accidentally call pregnancy crisis centers or help centers thinking that they offer it. And so they put out a statement saying, if you find yourself, if you discover that you're seeking help from an anti-abortion facility, protect yourself from further harassment. Leave the premises immediately and do not return. When you do locate a professional clinic that offers information about all options, be sure to share your experience with your new counselor so that whatever distortions and misinformation you may have received can be corrected. I'll share one testimony before I finish what the issue is and we'll move on to what the Bible says about it and, and we'll, we'll come to a conclusion this evening. My first... Um, my first day out at Planned Parenthood, AJ and others from Berean Church and people had been going since um, the winter of December of 2016. And we began partnering, I guess, close to March. I'm not sure, Paula, when we went for the first time uh, to visit with them. But somewhere late spring, early summer, we, we started. And Joe Gonzalez and I went out uh, the first day we go out on Friday. By the way, I've said this before, but that meeting for us was incredibly helpful to know what to expect, especially since we ran right in the trenches on Friday. And so I appreciate that. Um, you should seek help before you go decide to do that, of what to expect and, and things that you should say, shouldn't say, those types of things. So Joe and I go out Friday morning. We're there not even 10 to 15 minutes. And the first family that comes up to have an abortion, we're standing on the sidewalks. Joe and I are holding a sign that says, we care about you and your child, and we can help you keep your child. They're really offensive signs. And we're standing there on the sidewalk, and the van pulls up. It's the first one. They have two escorts. Uh, the one is this male who um, loves death. And the van pulls up. I'm standing there, Joe's standing there. We haven't said a single word. I'm just giving you a picture of, of the blindness and depravity of these people. In the van, 
driving is a middle-aged man and a mother, a middle-aged woman. In the back seat is the girl who's having abortion. I don't pin her more than 15, 16 years old and a little brother in the seat next to him. They pull in. The, the dad and the mom are ready to go to war with somebody. They're cussing each other out. Windows are down. They're cussing us out as soon as they see us in our signs. All kinds of explicitives. Uh, they're cursing at us nonstop. The man even gets out of the van, comes right over to us, his fingers in our face. He's cussing us up one side, down the other. He's threatening us. He'll put us in the hospital just down the road. If we open our mouths, if we do anything, it's in our business, blah, 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 blah. Goes in, and the father and the mother begin cussing and saying similar things to the daughter. Get out of the car. I'm saying polite ways. They're using every verb and adjective you can possibly imagine and they're cussing out their daughter you're going to do this get out of the car the girl's in the back seat crying because she doesn't want to have an abortion now pause the very cry of the abortion culture is that it's a woman's choice in this moment the woman who was pregnant had no choice she's getting cussed out She's locked herself in the van. Every time they unlock it, she puts the lock back so they can't get her door open. The mom's outside banging on the door. Dad's inside cussing her. Get out. You're having it. You ruined our lives. Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, you have the escort who's a volunteer for Planned Parenthood. And you would think, in this sense, he would go, wow, this is probably not a healthy home. She's clearly being uh, verbally abused. She doesn't want to have an abortion and should probably separate the girl from her parents, probably call the cops and seek to get some kind of help and find out other ways that they can help this girl since she doesn't want to have an abortion. That's not what happens at all. Rather, the escort of the Dover Planned Parenthood is joining in with the mother saying, you need to listen to your parents. It's the right thing to do. You should have the abortion. You need to listen to your parents. Come out of the van. It's going to be okay. Come inside. You're doing the right thing, etc., 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 etc. And he coerces with the parents for her to get out of the car. Now, eventually, the girl got out after probably uh, five, seven minutes, and then she showed her own depravity, and she's sobbing, not wanting to do it, basically being dragged by her mom. But she looks at us as we cry out, We can help you. We can help you keep your child. This is her first time. I wept after this. I couldn't believe it. I went to the side of the sidewalk. I had never seen anything like this. I'm like, what is happening? How have I not known about this? How many times have I driven past this building and not known this is what's happening? And she turned around and she flicked us off and she cussed us out as well, like mother, like daughter in that situation. And this is the world we live in. She came out hours later, unstable, highly medicated, walking in the car, having killed her baby. That is the culture we live in. That is the issue today. So briefly, what does the Bible say about it? God creates life. And there is a difference between a man and an animal. We see this in Genesis 1, 26-27. Where God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Man is made in the image of God. He is an image bearer. Women are made in the image of God. They are image bearers. The Bible tells us, I mentioned this on Sunday, it's important to restate again tonight. The Bible states that life doesn't just begin with the fertilized egg. Life begins in the mind of God before the fertilized egg even comes into existence. 
We see this in Jeremiah 1.5, where God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Or Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, and specifically verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, not the womb. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So life begins before a fertilized egg in the mind of God. God creates the life. God has given life purpose and meaning. It is more meaningful than anything else in the world because it is an image bearer. And in Genesis, the beginning, you see that there's a commission given to man to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with image bearers. So listen, abortion at the very heart of it goes against God's command to be fruitful and fill the earth. It is a rejection of God's command. And we see that in the New Testament, this is essentially the gospel command to go and make disciples. Jesus says the same thing, be fruitful and multiply in a different way before he ascends into heaven. When he looks at his disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations. Fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. This is the purpose of being image bearers, to fill the earth with image bearers. I legitimately heard somebody say to me, you say 60 million babies are dead since Roe v. Wade. Well, what would we have done with 60 million babies today? Where would they live? On earth! What, what, do you, what do you mean? So are you arguing that we should kill people for concerns of population, overpopulation? They make crazy movies based off of that ridiculous nonsense. What, um, is that seriously an argument? In Exodus, and, and by the way, it's, it's, it's a complete rejection that God who created the earth, created earth sufficient enough to store the people that he would create. In Exodus 21, what does the Bible say about murder of unborn children? Exodus 21, verse 22 through 24. If men fight, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. He shall pay as the judge is determined. But if this man hurts the woman with child, she gives birth prematurely, and harm follows, you shall give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Right in the Ten Commandments, we find that we are commanded not to murder. The Bible is full of child sacrifice and infanticide. God opposes. Generally, the sacrifice of a child was intertwined with the worship of a pagan deity, Ironically, it was often a fertility god. Think about this. The most common of pagan practices of offering child sacrifice was towards a pagan god who was a fertility god. Is that ironic? Worshippers sought to obtain a blessing from their god or gods or to conform or complete a vow taken in the name of that god. The Bible contains the heartbreaking tale of child sacrifice practiced in the name of Moloch, or also spelled M-O-L-O-C-H or E-C-H, or M-O-L-E-K. He was a god of the Ammonites. Moloch worship was practiced by the Ammonites and Canaanites, who revered Moloch as a protecting father figure. Images of Moloch were made of bronze and their outstretched arms were heated red hot. Living children were placed in the idol's hands and died there or were rolled into a fire pit below. 
Some sources indicate that a child might also be passed through the fire prior, prior to the actual sacrifice in order to purify or baptize the child. Moloch worship occurred in the Hinnom Valley near Jerusalem, and because of this, the valley became associated with the idea of Tophet, or hell. You see, you see this in Isaiah 30, Jeremiah 19, Mark 9. On your take-home papers tonight, you'll have the exact references. God prohibited Israel from child sacrifice. He said to refrain from this type of pagan worship, and Moloch worship in particular. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2 through 5 says this. Say to the Israelites, Any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Moloch is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people. For by sacrificing his children to Moloch, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Moloch and if they fail to put him to death, I will myself... I, will, I myself will set my face against him and his family and will cut them off from the people together with all who follow him and prostituting themselves to Moloch. In other words, there is even a preparation for those who turned a blind eye to it. You see that? And so now think about the pagan history and rituals of this child sacrifice and you look at what's taking place at Planned Parenthood and hospitals and other clinics that are giving abortions, and you see that this is simply, just like Rudy talked about all the demonic foundational stuff of entertainment last week, you see a demonic, evil, satanic foundation to the pagan practice of abortion or child sacrifice. There's many other Old Testament passages that affirm God's zero tolerance for child sacrifice. He had zero tolerance for it. There are several other examples found in the Bible, such as Herod's infanticide after the birth of Jesus. Now, you might argue, well, that was prophesied. You might look at Abraham and Isaac, and that's a whole different conversation. We don't have time for the sake of purpose to go into night. I also have resources and can answer those types of things as well if you have those questions later on. The Bible also tells us that God is the ruler of life. Colossians 1, 16-17, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mention this verse because we're going to transition not to just abortion or IVF or birth control, but when you talk about God as the ruler of all things, that he holds all things together, that all things were created through him and for him, that he's got this sovereign rule, it now brings in the question of euthanasia and assisted suicide. We have to discuss the biblical and ethical issues in those cases. Sometimes these two things can be considered to be mercy killing. It can certainly be a difficult issue today. What is helpful is to have a proper understanding of suffering in the Bible. Also required uh, to understand fully the reality of the consequences of a fallen world where suffering and sin and pain and disease occur and death. Uh, GotQuestions.org has a great article um, on euthanasia and assisted suicide that I highly recommend. I want to quote a part of it because I felt like this was very applicable uh, to this point this evening. That the overriding truth that God is sovereign, say God is sovereign, 
should drive us to the conclusion that euthanasia and assisted suicide are wrong based on the fact that God is sovereign in general. He's the one who is in control, sovereignly ruling. Nothing comes into existence. Nothing happens apart from his allowance or his direct cause. We know that physical death is inevitable for us mortals. You see this in Psalm 89 and Hebrews 9. I'll have these verses that I'll quote here in a second also tonight to take home with you. However, God alone is sovereign over when and how a person's death occurs. Job testifies to this in Job 30, chapter 30, verse 23, when he says, I know that you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8 declares, No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. Ecclesiastes 8, 8 should end the conversation on assisted suicide and euthanasia. That no one has the power over the day of his death. God has the final say over death. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see it in Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation 21. Euthanasia and assisted suicide are man's attempt to usurp that authority from God. Death is a natural occurrence. Sometimes God allows a person to suffer for a long time before death occurs. Other times a person's suffering is cut short. No one enjoys suffering, but that does not make it right to determine that a person should die. Often God's purposes are made known through suffering. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Romans 5.3 teaches that tribulations bring about perseverance, that God cares about those who cry out for death, wish to end their suffering. He cares for those people, but he gives purpose in life even to the end. If you're breathing, God is sovereign over every breath, can snatch your breath in a moment. If you're breathing, there's a purpose to why you're breathing. Only God knows what is best and his timing, even in the matter of one's death, his timing is always perfect. We should never seek to prematurely end a life. But neither must we go to extraordinary means to preserve a life, right? To actively hasten death is wrong and to passively withhold treatment can also be wrong. But to allow death to occur naturally in a terminally ill person is not necessarily wrong. Anyone facing this issue should pray to God for wisdom. Think of James chapter 1 verse 5 and seek godly counsel and search the intentions and motivations of your heart. And I want to remind us the words of former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop who warned that the practice of medicine cannot be both our healer and our killer. To summarize and to conclude, short, how should we live in this culture and how should we expose? And I'm going to join these questions together. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I appreciate you guys hanging with me for what has been a lengthy discussion. I appreciate your attentiveness and your care and concern over this topic. I don't believe that this is time that is wasted. And now I want to just exhort us and encourage us and tell us how we can move to action and to be ambassadors for Christ and ministers of reconciliation in this world. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 8 in just a second. I'm going to ask this question before, there, before we get there. What does our biblical worldview of birth control or IVF 
IVF or euthanasia or assisted suicide and abortion command us to do? What does the Bible say about how we should act? I think that this passage is the answer. The Bible should be the answer. I have the answer. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We'll read on to verse 21. I'm sorry. Uh, we're not going to begin in verse 8. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 6. No, verse 8. I'm sorry. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But with any, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Think of John 3. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, amen, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is revealing, exposing is a gracious, merciful act of God. Praise God! To cleanse and to renew and to give hope and life. So what should we do? Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to pause and give my first exhortation with those last verses. It just talked about expose, don't participate, make best use of the time, take no part in their unfruitful works. The days are evil. You kind of have this like gloomy, 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 gloomy feel. But then he ends this with an exhortation of be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in horror stories and sorrow and weeping and the sky is falling and... The government has ruined everything and the world is ending and Jesus is coming back tomorrow and we're all going to die. No. The first exhortation is that we should not be sorrowful and gloomy with the eternal mindset, but rather we should address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord of our heart, giving thanks always and for everything, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the great first thing we should understand is God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows better than we do. His ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The sky is not falling. God is not losing. He's reigning victoriously. Therefore, we should not let the sorrow of what is happening and the concern for the evil and the reality of evil today be greater than the joy that we have in the Lord. And be greater than the hope that we have in the Lord. I prayed on Sunday that we would understand that the glory of God far surpasses the depths of wickedness. He is more beautiful than sin is disgusting. Next, we should walk in the light. Verse 9 through 10. You see this. You also see what this looks like in the verses that we just mentioned. I think of the fruit of the Spirit. Think of Galatians 5 verse 17. Keep in step with the Spirit. What should you do? 
You should keep in step with the Spirit. That way you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and by the way, there could be a time where people in this room could find themselves in a pregnancy that was unexpected. And the world may try to persuade you and say, hey, the answer is abortion. It's legal. It's not that bad. Don't listen to all the conservatives and the preachers who are just trying to push on some propaganda to you and make you some kind of, you know, holy little piece of paper, whatever. Don't, you, you need to understand that we are not beyond falling into sin. I, Abigail, how often do I look at you and say, we need to pray that we'll be faithful to each other? Multiple times a week, sometimes emotionally saying, dear God, Abigail, you could fall, I could fall. Let's plead and beg the Lord every single day that he would protect us from that all the time. Because I don't think that I'm above and beyond falling into that. So we shouldn't look at this and think that we are unable to fall into that kind of thinking or that kind of sin. We must understand that we have to keep in step with the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what happens is the moment you start keeping in step with the flesh, you will give in to the desires of the flesh. And sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to give. Cling to Psalm 119, verse 9 and verse 11. How can a young man keep his way pure but guarding it according to your word? Verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Cling to the word. Number three. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works. Verse 11. In other words, it's not okay to be passive about this topic. If the conversation comes up, God has sovereignly allowed for you to be there when a conversation comes up. And you are to be an ambassador for Christ. And you are to expose the deeds of darkness. And you should not have fear. And you should pray for wisdom and tact to correct opponents with gentleness and to speak the truth in love. But you should speak the truth. If it comes up with conversation with friends or family, speak the truth. And then do not take part or support what they may believe is right or okay if it contradicts God's word. This is difficult for people because what you may need to do in your life, whether it's about abortion or anything we talk about this, this year, you may need to separate yourself from friends. You may need to have a line drawn between some family. That's not an unloving thing. You should pray for them. It doesn't mean that you cut them off and you never talk to them again. It means that you guard yourself. It means that you surround yourself with people. It means that you allow yourself to be influenced by people's words that are gospel-centered, the renewing of the mind, right? Yes. Because people affect us. And especially if anyone's a chameleon like I am, you are what you hang around. You are influenced by what you watch. Go re-listen to Rudy's message last week. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works. Number three, expose the deeds of darkness. Everybody turn to Proverbs chapter 24 with me really quick. And I want you to underline this verse when it comes to abortion and anything in general. Specifically abortion. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter.
you have an opportunity to speak out about abortion. You could come join us on Fridays. It looks like we may have to drive up to Wilmington now because uh, there's changes happening at the Dover Clinic, and it looks like they may not be doing that many abortions anymore, praise God. A lot of factors. One of the factors is indeed our presence there, so I praise God for that. I do have confirmation of at least that. And um, it doesn't mean it won't come back, but there's opportunities for you to stand and to um, offer help, preach the gospel. We do so in a very loving way. We have approachable signs. We have very caring cards that say we care about you, your family, and your baby. In the back, it lists about a dozen resources. A number of churches are working together. We'll offer anything you need. We will. I told I told a person one time. I was pleading. I talked to him probably three hours. I said, you don't understand. I will unleash resources on you. Unleash them. You have no idea how much help we can actually give you. You can come and be a part of offering help and allowing for people to see that there are those who will love them, surround them, provide for them, encourage them, disciple them, and help take care of that baby. You also may need to boycott some places. There's so much corruption in organizations and businesses today, it's not even funny. It's just insane that the world and the marketplace and businesses are so concerned. You need to understand why I say boycott. Businesses are so concerned they're going to lose business if they don't take the politically correct view, if they don't accept homosexuality, if they don't accept abortion, if they don't accept transgender issues, because that community will become obnoxiously loud and boycott all these places. And so they say, all right, we'll cower and we'll submit to now these authorities. And Christians are just like, oh, half, some of your money goes to pay for abortion. Some of your money goes to transgender rights. Some of your... That's okay. Let me unleash all my resources into you. You may want to consider boycotting some specific places. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do or the only thing to do. I'm just saying, think about it. Pray about it. Have conversations about it. You should call your legislators. There's a bill that may be going to the Senate soon. You should call your senators about assisted suicide here in Delaware and many other places. Call your legislators. Speak. Use your voice. Um, I've I've talked to a number of them who are persuaded often when they receive a number of phone calls on specific bills that may be passed and things like that. Your voice does matter. Talk to your medical professionals, your doctors. Find out if they participate or encourage or associate with any way. Many of them are. And I would consider finding a new doctor or a new OBGYN and not using places that will participate in the disposal of human life. Share material. Take a stand. Speak out, young people in your classes and your workplaces. Number five, make the best use of your time. You see this in verse 15 through 16. A biblical worldview means that we have to make best use of the time. I want to give one example. I promise you I really am almost done. I want to give you one example of this. There's a book that I gave to all of our refuge leaders called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And probably the number one thing in that book that stuck out to me is when it talks about how we manage our time. One of the, one of the ways our phones are changing us is our, uh, how we use our time, what we give our time to. And the question was asked, do we, do we have the ability, is it justified for us to spend hours scrolling or searching or sending or reading? Like, do we, 
are we justified in spending hours? And he, he asked the question this way. Does the Bible say that we have time to kill? It's a phrase that we use. Oh, I've got some time to kill. Yeah, I can do this, whatever. Do we have, does the Bible say we have time to kill? And the answer is no. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, make the best use of your time. We have time to redeem. So we, if we're going to have a biblical worldview, especially about abortion, we need to make the best use of our time. That can look like a number of different things. You should pray about that. And finally, number six, as we close, pray. Pray without ceasing. Beg God to end abortion. There's an argument that, you know, if if that happens, it's just going to turn out with women in the back alleys again. A lot of this uh, argument is boogeyman type stuff. There's a lot of exaggeration. In fact, in the Roe v. Wade case, one of the doctors admits that there was an exaggeration of how many abortions took place in these back alleys, specifically so that they could get the law passed. He's come out and spoken and revealed that they exaggerated on purpose simply so that they could make a point. Right, So there's, there's a lie at the reality of all that. In fact, I just read earlier this week, the statistic is that 9 out of 10 abortions that happened before Roe v. Wade were done by licensed doctors. It was not coat hangers in back alleys, although there were no doubt several of those. But 9 out of 10 by licensed doctors, just keeping it under the rug and not made aware We've got to pray that God would change our hearts, that God would reveal himself to those who are living with the guilt and shame of having an abortion or being a part of one. The gospel would be the center that they would see the hope of in Christ. We should pray that abortion will indeed end and that God would spare people in our church as well from falling into that and feeling like that's the only way. Have a voice. Pray, pray, pray without ceasing.